You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply i'm jamie dumont and I'm Rob Russo, and this is The Fabulous Invalid. Hi, Rob. Hi, Jamie. Well, here we are officially in the full swing of the new year. Yes. 2019. It's here. Happy New Year. It's queer. <laughs> it certainly is. Yeah. I, I saw the prom last night, so tell me, my year is off to a very queer start. Very queer start. Uh, two days after seeing Head Over Heels. There so. were a lot of people at the prom last night. Yeah. That, yeah. That. Well, I, it was, it was counter-programming for the president's address, you know. Oh, yes. Which I, which I watched, but we, yeah. won't, we won't talk about that. We won't that. go there. No. Well, I have big news, yes. as you know, Rob Russo, oh um, because you are partially responsible, almost entirely responsible. I have finally gotten on Spotify. Yes. So I'm very excited about that. I'm still learning my way, and I have to figure out how to close up my Pandora account so that I'm not paying for two. What is Pandora? Pandora is something that old people like I myself use. Um, it's a streaming musical service that has commercials on one way that I listen to it and no commercials on another way. I don't know. Seems like a personal problem. I Well, I, I have probably two different accounts and whatever. Um, anyone who knows me knows that this is not my strong suit. Um, but now you're on Spotify. I am on Spotify. So the reason I bring all of this up is that um, if anybody has any advice for me or playlists, I will happily take them. Uh, oh, but uh, what I want to say is if, if anyone thinks that they would be interested in our playlists or a fabulous invalid playlist, maybe tweet at us or, or direct message me on something and we could maybe talk about doing some of that. Because yeah, I've already started idea. doing, now I have <clears throat> some Spotify friends, um, and so I've been sharing things, and um, I'm, I'm getting into it. I still can't figure out half of it, but I'll get there. <laughs> I, now that I the week is sort of behind us, I'll probably be texting you a lot, saying, how do I do this? How do I do that? That I could do! I could do that! Here's what I want to say about the Golden Globes. Right. I'm, one, shocked that you watch the Golden Globes, but always I'm always, like, every time I make a joke about you having a television and you very <laughs> crossly correct me. Um, but the thing I will say about the Golden Globes, and this is something I have said about the Oscars, mm -hmm. and it's something I have said since I saw the film, Glenn Close was not an upset for me the other night mm. when she won for the wife, the wife over yeah. Lady Gaga mm -hmm. because 
as far as I'm concerned, that is her award to lose. She has it. I, I have not seen The Favorite, although I will say I'm a huge Olivia Coleman fan. I feel like I'm the first person in America that knew who she was yeah. because I was a huge fan of The Rev, mm-hmm. which is a show I think I think that's the name of it that nobody's ever heard of that she was on and Broadchurch and so mm-hmm. on and so mm-hmm. forth. But um, my point is, her time will come, but I really, really have always been very full of conviction that this is the time for Glenn wow. Close. What? So her winning the Golden Globe was not an upset to me, and right. her winning the the Academy Award in a few weeks' time will just wow, be an a bold prediction. inevitability. Well, I have to say, it might not have been uh, a surprise to you, but it seemed like it was a genuine surprise to Glenn Close because her the reaction shot when they announced her name was unbelievable. I mean, she's a good actor, but like that was real. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> she was not expecting to win that award. No, and even I if Jamie Dumont sitting in his apartment watching it knew that it was, was like, going to happen. I was like filing my nails, rolling my eyes, <laughs> like going, course, "Oh, Mary, right? please, yeah. no." But do you like how I was? I was. I'm making the filing you have my to. nails. You can't say file your nails. Gesture. Well, actually doing it. No, I think it was genuine, and I think uh, she probably yeah. thought, I, you know, it's the Golden Globes, well, and how, how am I going to how am I going to beat Lady Gaga? And right, and how many times in her career has she been screwed over by major awards? Right, she's never won an Oscar, famously. No, she wasn't nominated for Reversal of Fortune, which, if you haven't seen it, is one of the I most brilliant. I haven't seen it. Rob Russo, I've never heard of that uh, movie, Re- Reversal of Fortune. What year was that? It shocks me that we we've become as close friends as we've become. <sighs> Reversal of Fortune is one of the greatest pictures ever made about <laughs> the... I say that every time, <laughs> I don't I? I say that every <laughs> single time. Um, it's about Sonny... Do you know who Sonny Von Bulow was? No. So Sonny Von Bulow was a, a Newport socialite with obviously a lot of money, and she married um, a man named Klaus Von Bulow, who many people... He was a European playboy. Long story short... Love a Klaus. He, he was... a accused of murdering her or not murdering her I, I, I misspeak she she was sent into a, a insulin induced coma nice. from which she never recovered um, and she spent the last 30 years of her life as in a vegetative state yeah. in a hospital on the Upper East Side but he was convicted of not convicted he was accused of of trying to murder her mm-hmm. attempted murder I suppose and it was a quite a scandalous story in the early 80s complete with drug dealers and male prostitutes and not on his, not him, he was straight. Um, but it's a wonderful film with Glenn Close and, um, uh, uh, oh, I can't think of the man who plays Klaus von Bülow. Well, I'm Jeremy, not because Jeremy I Irons, heard of this movie. <laughs> Jeremy Irons, who was nominated for an Academy Award. Oh, isn't that funny? They did the real thing together on Broadway. They did well, and Christine Baranski plays the Stop it. the girlfriend that he ends How up with. How have I never heard of this movie? It's a fabulous movie. It was Alan Dershowitz's first, one of his early big cases, which is uh-huh. played by Ron Silver. Annabella Shiora has a small part in it. Fisher Stevens has a part in it. Uda Hagen plays the maid, oh, who the maid <laughs> the maid who was manufacturing evidence to convict Klaus. Mm. So this is all based on a Dominic Dunn story for Vanity mm. Fair, mm-hmm. I believe the film is, and it's a wonderful film. And it and there's a scene in it where she's eating ice cream, smoking a cigarette with sunglasses on in in a very grand dining room, and. That alone should have won her an Academy <laughs> Award. It is one of the great moments of film. Okay, well, I'm going to look up this movie. I know these are big statements. Anyway. Well, you, you, like, you like to make a big statement. 
and I like Glenn Close. And you like who doesn't like Glenn Close? I'd the like Academy. To, I'd apparently. like to. <laughs> well, I mean, we could. I mean, that's that. That's not this that's show. There is actually a podcast. I'm I think sure there devoted is. to I the subject. I don't doubt. But that. yes, I think if you you if you think we were break down every year, there's a you. There, yeah. I don't think there's a year where you go. Oh yeah, she was robbed. I mean, right. I think she's right. she's she unfortunately made all of her great films in years of other, other great, great films. films. Right. But I suppose you could say that about almost every single year. Sure, sure, sure. Well, it was a good night for um, stage actors um, at the Golden Globes, uh, or you know, actors who were we love to see in New York. Um, like, like, well, Glenn Close first and foremost. I mean, that was huge. Um, I believe Ben Whishaw won an award. Oh. Um, Patricia Clarkson, who he is, did. you know, who's done a lot of stage work. She um, has. I love her, too. Yeah, who doesn't love Patricia Clarkson? Um, uh, even Darren Chris, right? I mean, that was a big, you know, big career moment for him to win a Golden Globe. Did you see that for Versace thing? I did not. I heard it was fantastic. It is great. And I think it's it's either on Netflix or Hulu in yeah. the next few days. Yeah. I, I I recommend it. It's also, like, the, the real star of that is... Um, Judith Ivy, uh, not Judith Ivy, Judith Light. Oh, well, Judith me. Light's the star of anything she's in. She is. Anyways. She has a few small scenes, but yeah, it is doesn't gold. matter how much material she has. Yeah. She's always the star. Yeah, um, and that's a compliment. I mean, that is a compliment. Um, yeah, so it was a good. It was a good night for for some stage actors. She's the reason I didn't go into acting. Judith Light. Mm-hmm. She told me I didn't have the drive. Wow, okay. I was in high school. Well, we need to get but her on. But that's another story. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Well, we need I, to get her on. Forget you know, about the story. It is, you know. <laughs> I should qualify that in case this makes it on the air. She did not say it in a malicious way. No, it I was, don't doubt it that. Was in a, no, it was, the, course, it was yeah. the greatest thing somebody ever yeah. did. It's the, actually one of the great things somebody did for me in my life, which was to point out to me that I had a certain amount of talent and I had a certain look and all that other stuff and connections or whatever you want to call it, but that I didn't want it enough. Yeah. And, and nobody, had, nobody yeah. had said that to me. And, mm-hmm. and um, I didn't know her. She was just teaching an acting class I was in yeah. in high school. And, uh, and it was one of the great things, and I will forever be grateful to her, and I well, can't imagine you, she would... Re- yeah, thank you, and if thank we you. ever have her on here. You know, I've been with her. I've had dinner with her. I've, have I've, you told I've, her? No, I've never, never, yeah, the ever... moments just never come. She was at yeah. my table at a wedding years yeah. ago, and uh, no, I've... No, because it's just like, oh, hi, yeah. <laughs> changed the course of my life. Um, well, I will actually, say, um, in closing... You should see the favorite. Oh, I will because Olivia Coleman is pretty fantastic. Yeah. I, I I still haven't seen all the the films for this year, but because um, uh, you know the theater schedule is just insane. But um, the favorite is my favorite film of the year, and I feel comfortable saying that. Have you seen The Wife? I have not seen The Wife. No one's seen The Wife though. Where I mean, when did that come out? Last year. It was in. It was in, well. I saw it in San Francisco, but it was here too. Uh. It, yeah. It's a great film. It's, no, I mean, I it's know, a good film. It's not a great film. Yeah. It's a great performance in a very good film. Yeah. Well, wh- I have to say, this is purely based off of internet chatter, but there is a, a, a sub stream of um, commentary that says that the actual, real, greatest day, uh, film performance of the past year is not even a nominated performance, and that's Tony Collette in Hereditary. Because it's a horror film, people overlook it, but... I, I've seen some clips, and I love me some Tony Collette. So 
I've seen the film. Oh, okay, okay. I love a horror film. Yeah. I love Tony Collette more. Yeah. Than I love all the horror films combined. Yeah. Um, it is a great performance, and I can see it getting a nomination, although I don't think it will. Um, but I, I think it's worthy of it. The, the film takes a twist that you either, at the end that you either love and go yeah. with or you don't love and don't go with, and I think that might be something that precludes that performance from, yeah. from the serious recognition that it probably yeah. should deserve. Well, I'm always rooting for her. I love these subgroups you're reading. I, I, I think we need a little more information on that. But well, no, perhaps. it's just as I, as I scroll through Twitter, you know, you, you pick up on themes. Uh, and what? that's one that I've seen uh, for a little, bit, you know, a little while now. Every once in a while, someone tweets it. And it's like, yeah, you know, it's true. As you know, I struggle with Twitter. Yeah, we all struggle with Twitter. I think this Twitter is like struggles one of the Twitter. first years there's no clear front runner yeah. for Best Picture. Have you seen all the pictures, Aaron? I have not. I'm really bad this year. Do you normally see all the I pictures? I usually see like 75% of them. I try to see a lot. Last yeah. year I saw almost all of them. Yeah. I was very disappointed. What was no, your favorite well, picture is, last year, Aaron? Last year it was, I mean, call me by your name. But oh, that, oh, that was not yeah. going to win. But it was yeah. either that or three billboards. I just rewatched In Bruges. Have you seen In Bruges? I never have. Okay, yeah. Aaron, go home. <laughs> Right stream, now. tweet, whatever you... No, you don't tweet films. But stream, whatever, however you watch, watch in Bruges, and, um, and then we'll have a conversation about it because it's a, it's a great film. But I think on that note, we've rattled on about movies, movies. for... Uh, yeah, no, for, I know. Well, you know, every once in a while, you have to take a little left turn. Yes. Or, or as well, Samard would say, as Jennifer would say, a signal a lane right, change. Right, right, right. Here's a good bridge. During the Golden Globes telecast... Um, there was a teaser trailer for Fosse Verdon, the coming miniseries on FX, um, which, you know, there you go, from film to stage. Bob Fosse was the perfect uh, figure. We're going to have to put a pin in this, and we're going to have to talk about this later. Oh, we need to do it. Because there's a yeah. lot of things I have to say about this, and, and a lot of yeah. things, a lot of, the, many people have a lot to say about this trailer, and so oh, I think we will. need to unpack yeah. that next week. There you go. <laughs> Back in December, we had dinner with Rick Ellis at Orso, and uh, Rick is one of those marvelous storytellers and, and really has had such a, a, a phenomenal career, kind of a two-part career, both as uh, a, a, an executive at Sereno Coin for many, many years, running uh, ad campaigns for the largest, uh, one of the largest advertising agencies on Broadway, but also as a very noted and, and well-known uh, book writer of musicals and, and playwright. So we decided to break that interview up into two parts. Uh, the first part, we talk primarily about his current show, The Share Show, um, which is available on iTunes uh, and, and is the episode right before this. And today's episode is the second half of that conversation. Enjoy. Well, I want to travel back in time a little bit um, to a New York that doesn't exist anymore, and and that would be 1982. Oh my God! Which I think was a which I think was a pretty good year for you. It was not only the year you met Roger, but it was also the year you started at Sereno Coin. Yes, actually, that those two things happened within a month of each other. Oh wow! So tell me a little bit about New York and the theater in 1982. Well, 1977, 78, 79, I was at Yale Drama School, you know, it's sequestered in the, you know, the Ivy Halls of Yale, and um, 
Studying to be an actor. Studying to be an actor. I um, returned to New... Uh, the, the day that I got my MFA, which is the Master of Fine Arts degree, but we called it the motherfucking actor degree. <laughs> I came to New York... I literally left the graduation ceremony, came to New York, and had two auditions. One was to... Don't you leave with an equity card? You get your equity card. That was that's the that's yeah. much big, much more important than getting your diploma, right? Because your equity card, of course, Never is the catch twenty two. You yeah. know, you can't get it unless, and you can't you can go right can't to work. The, so we were able to go right to work. And I came in and auditioned. I had two auditions that day. One was to. There was a musical called Sweeney Todd playing on Broadway. Maybe you've heard of it. Heard of it. And Victor Garber, who was playing Anthony, the sailor, was leaving the show. And his understudy, Chris Gronendahl, was being promoted to replace him. And there was a, an audition to replace Chris Gronendahl in the understudy track and ensemble. I auditioned for that. And I auditioned for a musical called The 1940s Radio Hour, which was written and directed by somebody from Yale, not from the drama school, but a professor at Yale. And I had been in various um, formative stages of I had those two auditions that day, and I got both jobs. Wow. And I thought <laughs> it would be good to take the new show. I don't know what drugs I was on. I mean, I can't believe I turned <laughs> down the chance to be in Sweeney Todd, but I did. What is that? It's fop, finest in the shop. And we have some shepherds, five peppered with actual shepherd on top. And I've just begun. Is a politician so oily in served with a doily of one? Put it on a bun. Well, you never know if it's going to run. Try the fryer, fry the dryer. No, the clergy is really too coarse and too mealy. That actor, that's compactor. Yes, and always arrives overdone. I'll come again when you have judge on the menu. Have charity towards the world, my pet. Yes, yes, I know, my love. We'll take the customers that we can get. High born and low, my love. We'll not discriminate great from small. No, we'll serve anyone, meaning anyone, and to anyone at all. September of 1979, I was fired from that show in previews and replaced. Not being in it enabled me to take the only acting job that I was offered, which was um, to go up and be a charter member of the American Repertory Theater uh, in its premiere season and thereafter. And because and in the the and I, I attracted the attention of Peter Sellers, who had been a Harvard undergrad and was this sort of brilliant avant-garde opera director we've all heard of now but he um, was going to direct at the ART and he can't, He thought he liked my acting <laughs> so he cast me in everything he did and um, so I spent two seasons up at the ART this is with Cherry Jones and Mark Baker and, and Tony Shalhoub and Christine Nielsen and uh, Carmen DeLavalade and Christopher Lloyd and, and uh, Ken Ryan and, and uh, you know, uh, I'm wondering... Well, it's a great group of actors. Fantastic group of actors. <laughs> the only one you've never heard of is me. Yeah. And, and That's because you turned down Sweeney so, Todd. They were so great. 
And then um, I was in a play directed by Lee Brewer. Oh, sure. Um, which was a consolidation of, of the three Vatican plays about Lulu, the, femme, the original femme fatale. And Joe Papp came and saw them and decided to bring them to New York. And, you know, of course, as a New Yorker growing up, uh, you know, sort of Joe a Pap. red diaper baby like <laughs> I was, Joe Papp was God. <laughs> right. And um, so Joe Papp was going to bring to New York, so I left ART and came to New York. And that was when a dear friend of mine that I respected called and said, you have to go and see this thing that's playing on Broadway. Um, it's the life and adventures of Nicholas Nickleby. It's, uh, you know, this is an amazing thing. You have to go see it. It's going to change your life. And I said, the tickets are $100. I wouldn't pay a hundred dollars. Are you kidding? I'm like, I'm a, I'm a communist. I mean, I would never ever pay a hundred dollars to see a show. I, if I had a hundred dollars, I would buy food. Right. And who do these Brits think they are coming here and sucking up all the oxygen and fuck them. In fact, I was so fired up. I went to equity and I started a committee to keep the British out of Broadway or boob, as I called it. And I even had a t-shirt with the word boob across the front. This woman was so smart and I respected her so much that when she said, you have to go, my birthday's in November. So my parents asked me what I wanted for my birthday. I was 24 years old. And I said, I'd like $100 for food. And I got $100 and I went to the Plymouth Theater and got a ticket to see Nicholas Nickelby which changed my life. <clears throat> Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply the next day, after seeing Nicholas Nickleby all on a Saturday, eight and a half hours, I was doing a tap dance um, uh, at a benefit for New York Stage and Film Company, founded by my friend Mark Glenn Baker and Leslie Erdang and Max Mayer. And at that benefit, I got a job offer to choreograph a show at the Astor Place Theater in the spring. So I choreographed this it was, believe it or not, a jukebox musical, a Randy Newman jukebox musical. <laughs> there you go. Foreshadowing. They didn't call them jukebox musicals right. in those days. They've always been around. They're called reviews, <laughs> aren't they? Yeah. They, well, you know, jukebox musicals actually predate jukeboxes. So it's just a, it's a misnomer at the very, very least. You know, the great Irving Berlin, you know, Singing in the Rain, everybody's favorite movie musical. It's a jukebox musical. Uh, you know, uh, you know, get real, people. But, uh... It's a little like, you know, to say all jukebox musicals are, you know, some sort of a boil on the ass of mankind is a little like walking into a museum and saying, oh, God, not another rectangular painting. You know, like, who cares what the frame is, you know? What's inside the frame is what matters. What we should argue about. 
the music director for this jukebox musical with songs by Randy Newman was working on a show across the street at the Public Theater for Joe Papp written and directed by this Canadian genius named Des Mackinoff about the Red Baron and David Bowie was going to play the Red Baron and Jennifer Muller, the great avant-garde dance theater person was doing the choreography and everybody wanted to be in this show and I went and auditioned and I got in and Joe Papp um, famously threw very sumptuous opening night parties for his actors because he knew that otherwise we never ate. (laughs) (laughs) And that was the night that I met uh, Maddie Serino and and we were just talking literally online for the buffet and he said, you you seem like a funny guy. Do you think you could write funny headlines for me? And I said, no. (laughs) I'm an actor. (laughs) He said to me, I'll pay you $100. And, and I was making $149 a week as an actor in the show, plus an extra $20 because I was the dance captain, minus 10% because I had an agent, minus 50% because I had a government. And um, I saw $100. So I, so I, you know, I said, I, well, I'll try to write funny headlines. I went walking down Broadway to 1515 Broadway where Serena Coyne and Nappy had its offices. And I passed by the Winter Garden Theater, which was, you know, sort of always my lodestone because Follies played there in 1971, and Follies was the show that changed my life. And I thought, oh, look, that stupid idiot Cats thing is like the box office. Look at all these idiots waiting online to buy tickets for this. Like, how, like, can you believe it? And then I went and found out that I was going to be working on that show. <laughs> Minutes later. Life is funny. Humility. Humility. Always humility. He kept asking me to come back, and I thought, well, he is paying me $100. You know, I guess I'll come back. At the end of the week, I said, you know, I can't come anymore because I have to be free for auditions. And he said, oh, all right. And he handed me a check for $500. He made $100 a day. <laughs> Hundred dollars a day. I mean, I thought I really. I thought I had. I really it wasn't thought bad I back then. No. It was. It's not bad now. Yeah, I mean, a hundred dollars. I mean, cash. You know, like. Right. I thought, oh my God, do you need me to come back next right. week? So I came back a second week, and then at the end of the second week, he said, "You don't need to come back because my partner, Nancy Coyne, is coming back." And then, some a few days later, uh, I got a call from Nancy Coyne saying, "I, I, my partner says you should come up. We should meet." And I did, and instantly we hit it off. We were kindred spirits from the very first moment. And she said, I need you to go to this, I need you to go to a dress rehearsal for a thing tonight because otherwise you'll never get a chance to see it because it's sold out for like a year. But you're going to be working on it, so you should go and look at it. And I said, what? She said, it's this Cats. It's at the Winter Garden. Here, take my intern. Hal Luftig. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> and go, go and watch Cats tonight, and we'll talk about it tomorrow. And it just so happens that at Cats dress rehearsal, uh, because he had just finished filming in Los Angeles the day before uh, Bob Fosse's last movie called Star 80 mm-hmm. and was due to start rehearsals the next day in the West End for Tom Stoppard's new play The Real Thing Roger Rees decided to, rather than fly from LA to London which is a 
a, a very long, tiring trip, to stop in New York and say hello to all his Nicholas Nickleby friends, Trevor Nunn, Trevor John Nunn, Napier, right. of course. his old friend Gillian Lynn, who choreographed Comedy of Errors, which was the Olivier Award-winning Best Musical in 1977, you know, starring Roger and Judy Dench and Francesca Annis and Mike Williams. And, um, he decided to stop over in New York. And he came walking down the aisle to say hello to all his British pals. And I was sitting there in the aisle, and there was the guy that I had, like, fallen <laughs> rapturously in love with a year before. Hadn't and you written him a letter? I had done all, so many things. <laughs> <laughs> but I had also turned my little one-room apartment into a shrine to him. And there he was in, in the, the flesh. In the flesh. Yeah, right. And there was Hal Luftick, the intern, who said... Oh, I know him. He used to teach us at Columbia last year when he was doing Nicholas Nickleby. I know him. And I said, okay, Hal, when this Cats thing is over, you're going to introduce me. And Hal did. Hal introduced me and Roger. We stood outside on 7th Avenue after Cats that night and talked until about 4 in the morning and never um, parted. But what was Broadway like? Uh, which was actually your question. <laughs> it was... Uh, you know, the 70s were not kind to, um, to Broadway. And um, we lived through the Ford to New York drop dead. We lived through a chorus line changing everything and making it okay to come to Midtown Manhattan again. People forget that a chorus line wasn't just a hit show. And it wasn't just, a, you know, a sort of a major entertainment story like Hamilton, let's say. But it actually saved... New York, because it made it okay to come back to the part of New York that nobody wanted to come to. Again, step, kick, kick, feet, kick, touch. 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 Right. That connects with turn, turn, out, in, touch, step, step, kick, kick, feet, kick, touch. Got it? Going on, and turn, turn, touch, down, back, step, pivot, step, walk, 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 right. Let's do the whole combination facing away from the mirror. From the top, a five, six, seven, eight. itself and it and it was as of 1979 1980 1981 it was um, kind of becoming a destination for great British theater mm. you know those were the things that got the carriage trade as it used to be called um, you know p people with money to come back to those few blocks in midtown Manhattan at a time of day when people would really not want to be there. 
but Broadway was, uh, you know, I was the 13th hire at Sereno Coin. In 1982. Which went on to become the largest advertising agency. It was agency. a great big advertising agency um, that had all the business. and every Was that Sunday, J. Walter Thompson? No, J. Walter Thompson had already split into Ashla Don, uh, Sereno Coin, and Nappy. But Ashla Don had the lion's share of the business. Right. And then that became LaDon Wilner, right? Yes. Yes, okay. <laughs> and every Sunday... That's not I, when I came to New York. <laughs> every Sunday, as I'm sure Peter LaDon and John Wilner did... Nancy and Matthew and Nick Nappy and I would um, would sit with the um, you know the uh, the arts and leisure section. The Sunday arts and leisure section is published on Wednesday, so we would get it up on Wednesday and we would sit with the ABCs and we would mark off the shows that we had and mark off the shows that they had. And gradually, gradually over the next couple of years, we saw the balance shift until we were like the you know we were the top dog, and it was very exciting to be in at the ground floor of something that was happening. Um, you know, Nancy was a Nancy sort of invented the idea of theater marketing. There well, was no theater marketing. None at all. And <clears throat> I remember the first time I walked into the the hallowed halls of Sereno Coin in 1996 to work on my first Broadway show, and I will never forget walking into reception and the wall of window cards that represented the current running shows. It wasn't even a history wall. Oh, no. It was just the 20 shows that were currently running or whatever the number was. And it was a breathtaking for this, you know, younger me. It was a very intimidating and incredible Which, thing. What show was that you were doing? You weren't on it, I don't think. It was called Street Corner Symphony. Street Corner Symphony. Ken Waisman. Ken Waisman. I um, was. I, I, were you on that? I, well, I, well I, I, may, I was on it, but I was sort of in a supervisory capacity. I, I worked on 307 musicals. Over 17 over years. The, over the, my years at Sereno and, and um, about half as many plays. And, um, and that's why I'm so irritating now to most of the people that I work with because they go, oh, you know, I remember hearing, I go, oh, yeah, I worked on that. Oh, yeah, I worked on that. <laughs> well, oh, yeah, I worked on that. Yesterday, I, I watched the documentary Moon Over Broadway. That's right. And I think I'm in it. You are in it. Well, that's the point. We, it gets to the point where they're doing the... So is a dentist. The next day <laughs> ad meeting and... They cut to the conference room and that massive oh God. wood table, and all of a sudden I start hearing you reading the ad copy. Carol for Burnett came to the dress rehearsal of the Share Show in Chicago because she just happened to be passing through town, and Mackie invited her, and she she and you know there's like there's like 50 people and Joan Marcus in the in the, in the audience. That's the rule. And uh, you know Joan is snapping away, and and Bob brings down Carol Burnett. So he introduces her to a few people, and he introduces her to me, and she said, hello. And I said, believe it or not, <laughs> we met years and years ago on Moon Over Buffalo. And I'll tell you, just as a little sidebar, one of the, one, something that makes a star, there was an early preview, maybe the very first preview, I can't remember, of Moon Over Buffalo um, at the aforementioned Martin Beck, now Al Hirschfeld Theater. And it was a great big Heidi Landisman set. And something didn't work. And they had to stop the performance. And I was in the audience. And it, the, uh, the stage manager came on and said, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have to stop for a, for a moment. 
And the moment became a minute, and then five minutes, and then 10 minutes. And I thought, what the hell is going on? So I went through the pass-through door backstage, and there was a major technical problem involving a, some hydraulic something or other. And Carol Burnett, who was starring in the show, um, said, well, okay, here's what we're going to do. Nobody knew what to do. <laughs> and Carol Burnett said, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to go out, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do, like, questions, like I've done on my show. The audience, will, it'll make the audience very, very happy. So the stage manager said, okay, great. I'll raise the curtain. She goes, no, 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 you're not going to raise the curtain. What do you mean? Well, how are you going to get out? She said, you're going to raise the curtain two feet, exactly two feet. He said, no, no, I can raise it. She said, no, no, I know you can raise it all the way. I want you to raise it two feet. Okay. So he raises the curtain two feet. I go back, back out through the past door, and I'm now standing at the back of the theater. See two feet, and then you see these two skinny legs. And then Carol Burnett got down on the floor and rolled out from under the curtain and stood up. And the audience went, before she even said a word, the audience went berserk. Because she, coming from the theater, <laughs> knew exactly yep. how to make the audience completely forget that they were being delayed. And, and it was the, it was the, it was, you know, like one of like the five great theater moments of my life. And it wasn't even a theater moment. It was right. just that one night where she saved the day times a million because she knew exactly what to do. And everyone backstage had no idea what she was talking about. That was thrilling. is the number one greatest theater moment of your life? Yeah. I think um, when I was 15 years old, and I say 15 because like the year before I had been to see, I had a, I had a theater friend who became a very famous um, and then infamous press agent named Fred Nathan. He, he knew about the drama bookshop and he was able to get scripts for Broadway shows. And he introduced me to the, the item called the vocal score, which wasn't the stupid piano selections that you could get anywhere, but it was actually every note of music that was played in a show mm. reduced to something that I could play on the piano. Well, I mean, I thought I had died and gone to heaven. And we used to enact, reenact these Broadway shows, playing all the parts ourselves on Saturday afternoons. Then when we got a little bit older which is, say, 14. Right. He said, come on, let's go, let's go to see this new show called Company. And we went to see Company, and I thought, what the hell is this about? I don't, I don't understand. It's just, these, it's just these boring middle-aged people talking about marriage. Who cares? You know, I was 14. 
a year later, I think I probably had finally reached puberty. And we came to, we came down into Broadway to try to see applause. And it was sold out. It was a Saturday afternoon. It was sold out. He said, well, let's go to see this other show at the, at, uh, called Follies. And I said, oh, no, no, I can't. He said, why? I said, well, my parents saw it, and they forbid me to see it. <laughs> he said, well, how are they ever going to know? And I thought, oh, yeah, how would they ever know? We went to see the show I was forbidden to see, and I was 15, and I had never seen anything like it in my life. I didn't even know what I was seeing, but I knew that it was astonishing. Say, Mr. Producer, yeah, I'm talking to you, sir. I don't need a lot, only what I've got, plus a tube of grease paint on a follow spot. I'm just a Broadway baby. If I stick it long enough, I may get to strut my stuff Working for a nice man like a Ziegfeld or a Weissman In a great big Broadway What I did know was I had to go back and see it again now, you know, repetition disorder wasn't a term then, and there was no there was no technology that enabled you to see things that you wanted to see whenever you wanted to see them. You know, if you wanted to see an old movie, you would catch it on the million dollar movie, if it or not. Right. Uh, you know, it was a very very different world, and we were not a wealthy family, and the idea of going to see something twice was anathema. I had never, ever done it. And here I was desiring to see something twice that I had been forbidden to see even once. <laughs> so I was shitting myself, but I, I, I went and got a... It was a matinee, so the box office still open at the end. And I went up and got a ticket to see it again the following Saturday. And I went 52 Saturdays in a row. Here's how devious I was. I put all my ticket stubs in a rubber band inside my desk. <laughs> so, of course, my mother, who, you know, frequently would search through my drawers of to course. find out what drugs I was on, found 52 stubs for Follies, a show I was forbidden to see even once. 52. But that, was, but that took a long, long time. It, I became obsessed with that show. Not thinking it was the greatest show, but thinking that it was the greatest um, experience for me, and uh, and it sort of took over my life, and that was 1971 uh, into, into July of 1972, it, it, when it closed at the Winter Garden and moved and opened the Schubert Theater in Los Angeles. In L.A., yeah. So and wait, you weren't even going to see Bacall and Applause, you were going to see Ann Baxter? Arlene Dahl. Oh, Arlene Dahl? Not even Ann Baxter. Arlene fucking doll. Wow. Well, <laughs> couldn't get in. But I think there's again. I think it worked out. A, yeah. There's a force guiding you. I missed you. Arlene Doll, but I found Alexis Smith. Well, right. there was no one better than Alexis Smith. I think you've just answered our 
final question that we ask everyone, and That's that right. is... You've answered it multiple times, yeah, really. Yeah, I think you've asked it. So, so now I'm going to ask, the, the question we always ask is the final question is, what was that show that, that made you want to work in the theater or that changed your life? I don't... Is it My Fair Lady? Is it Follies? Is it Company? It sounds like it's Follies. Or is there a I thought it, I, No, I thought it was Follies, but I have to say that... I mean, there are, like, it's a handful of things. I have to say that I thought it was Follies, and then the same Fred Nathan called me when I was in college and said, Michael Bennett, who to me was a god because of Follies, Michael Bennett's doing this new thing about dancers, and you have to come see it. It's at the public theater. Well, you know, anything to do with Joe Papp, I was there. Right. I drove down from Cornell, and I met... Fred at the Newman Theater, and we saw a chorus line in preview. Wow. Cassie didn't get the job. Play me the music. Play me the music. Play me the music. Give me a chance to come through. All I ever needed was the music and the mirror and the church. Via Sereno in the in 83, 84, working on Dream Girls, 85, 86, working on Scandal, Chess. I got to know Michael quite well before he died. I had that experience. I had Michael Bennett perform a show for me in his home while I just sat there looking like a schmuck, you know. And um, I, so so there was a chorus line there was also I have to say in all fairness um, on March 4th 1979 Sweeney Todd opened at the now Gershwin Theater you know when you're in the presence of a masterpiece you know that it's a masterpiece and it was a masterpiece and that was 1979 and then thanks to my friend now the great actress Caitlin Clark no longer alive I went to see, on December 5th, 1981, Nicholas Nickleby, which is, I think, it's probably safe to say that for anyone who saw it, it was a singular theater experience. And it was, um, and it was life-changing, because it, not because it was Dickens, although Dickens is wonderful, and not because Roger was in it, although Roger was in it, was the center of it. But that the, the, the poor theater, story theater technique that Trevor and John Caird imbued in that production and, 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 and made, that, made the lifeblood of that production was exactly the kind of theater that I grew up loving and, and fell in love with again at Yale and wanted to devote my life to. So for me, it was, a, it was sort of a, a recapitulation uh, of everything that I cared about and loved, felt passionately about in terms of theater. And I felt like, yeah, they're British, but God damn it, they really got it right. But Nicholas Nickleby was a, um, a, um, a, a summation, really, uh, uh, a, a, like a valedictory of everything that I had grown up and studied and loved about what theater could be, where money wasn't the solution, but imagination was the solution, and storytelling was the solution. And it was so, it was, it had, and it was profound. 
And and I think, um, uh, you know, after that, there was, yes, seeing Roger and Felicity Kendall in The Real Thing, the most, I think, in London, it was the most romantic thing I'd ever seen in my life. And I think, had it been another Stoppard play, because historically they used to give me toothaches because I they would they were so he's so brilliant and like all I did was feel like an idiot <laughs> but the real thing was so romantic that it and if, if, if it hadn't been as great I would never have ended up with Roger because we wouldn't have had anything to talk about <laughs> you know what are you gonna say if the per, you know if somebody's in something you don't like you just quickly change the subject but I was able to go on and on and on about it um, uh, of course, there was that. Angels in America... I mean, when I was thinking about leaving advertising, suddenly Angels in America came along. When I was thinking about leaving advertising again, suddenly Lion King came along. Rent a couple of years before that, too. Um, I, you know, when I was when I thought I could never get out of the house, Lynn Miranda, very sweetly, because he's the dearest man in the world, didn't really know me and didn't know Roger at all, sent me a ticket for opening night to Hamilton because he knew that I was sad. And when Cher said, I bet you haven't been out of the house, she was right, except the only night that I'd been out of the house was opening night of Hamilton, which I went to because I got a ticket from Lynn Miranda. And, you know, so it's a handful of things. It's not just I one. it's okay that it's not one thing, that it's a handful of things. But what those handful of things have in common is some idea of making me thank God for the day I was born. You know, I think it was maybe Noel Coward or maybe it's apocryphal, but, you know, he said, uh, great theater should always make you thank God for the day you were born. And if you don't know what that means, if you think that that's a silly statement, then, you know, God bless you, I hope you come to the theater, but it's, it means that you don't really understand. The, what the what the theater means to those of us who understand what that means when you actually thank God for the day you were born when the hair stands up on the back of your neck there we are we're this tribe of people who have this art form that represents us and that um, and those moments have all made me feel that the end Thank you very much. That was, that was beautiful how you, you said that. And I think on that note, we should just leave it there. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming down and joining us tonight. Thank you so much for my penne pasta. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a pleasure. And yes. it's a pleasure to meet you. Oh, my gosh. It's a pleasure yes. to talk to you. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Welcome to the theater. To the magic. To the fun. Where painted trees and flowers grow And laughter rings fortissimo And treachery sweetly done Now you've entered the asylum This profession unique Actors are children Playing hide and ego seek Hi, it's Jamie. That's our show. Thanks for listening. The Fabulous Invalid is a production of O&M Etc. and The Fabulous Invalid LLC. Our theme music is by Lucky Chops. Today's episode was edited and engineered by Aaron Kaufman. Find us on iTunes and online at thefabulousinvalid.com and on social media at Fabulous Invalid. And tune in next Wednesday. Welcome to the theater. My dear, you'll love it so.
Welcome to the dirty concrete hallways. Welcome to the friendly roaches, too. Welcome to the pinchers from the stagehands. It's the only quiet thing they do. Welcome to the Philadelphia critics. Welcome, Librium and Nebutol. Welcome to a life of laryngitis. Welcome to dark toilets in the hall. Welcome to the flop you thought would run for years. Welcome to the world of fears and cheers and tears. Welcome to the theater with some luck. You'll be a pro. You'll work and slave and scratch and bite. You'll learn to kill with sheer delight. You'll only come alive at night when you're in a show. Welcome to the theater, you fool. You love it so. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.